I had watched Fiat Empire and America Freedom to Fascism and The Money Masters, all of those movies kind of just made me look at the world completely differently. I became very enthusiastic about Ron Paul. What happened with me was in 2012 when I saw Ron Paul's own party break the rules in order to keep him out, even though he had won the delegates to at least be considered for various nominations and whatnot. When I saw that they weren't following their rules, I figured, okay, well, this is a rigged game. I was really disappointed because I would go to all these different libertarian events, but the energy wasn't there. And then I remember when I went to a event that Jeffrey Tucker had actually put on, I forgot what it was called, but it was in Atlanta. That was my first really big crypto event. And that's when I recognized that same fiery spirit that was missing for the past year. Because I got into Bitcoin in August of 2012, the guys from BitPay, Tony Glippy and Stephen Pear, they sold me my first Bitcoins and they got me into it, but I wasn't really into it, into it until I actually went to one of the events and I got to experience the fire. And that's when I wrote the Bitcoin jingle. Shortly thereafter, I linked up with Adam B. Levine from Let's Talk Bitcoin, the founder of the network, and also the podcast with Andreas Antonopoulos, Dr. Stephanie Murphy, and Jonathan Mohan. We created the world's first artist cryptocurrency, which was Tatiana Coin. Ethereum had just been announced in January of 2014. There weren't a lot of platforms that were doing tokens. In fact, nobody was really doing tokens. What I had recognized was I had gone to music school. I went to Berkeley College of Music. I started managing different famous recording studios in New York. There's a lot of things that go into musical success that have nothing to do with anything other than who you know, and access to certain resources. What I saw as a real big problem for artists was fans and funding. While social media allowed me to connect with my fans, they actually owned those relationships. When I went from MySpace to YouTube to Facebook, I couldn't bring my fans with me. Facebook makes you pay them to access your own fans, right? So that was a problem. And then also, if you want to do music, you need some startup capital because recording an album is very expensive. And even though you have home equipment that you can use, well, that's also expensive and then it still takes time. So you need a little bit of capital. We took the existing Indiegogo model and then we took the idea that you own your connections and we combined it to make Tatiana coin. Artists could make this too, but what I did was I said, I'm going to raise money with Tatiana coin. I'm going to put out this album and you guys get Tatiana coin. It's sort of like a collectible item, but it can also be used in my store to get a discount on certain purchases. It can be used to access certain types of content. Basically, it becomes the portal where you reach your artist directly. It's a little bit like Patreon, a little bit like Indiegogo, and then it has a number of other functions that really allow artists a lot of flexibility, control, and transparency to what's going on with their music. So they own their data. They can pay out people really easily. It's not something where there's all these different middlemen. So we invented Tatiana Coin, which is great. And I put out an album called Keep the Faith. What we found out was it was like we had a car without any roads because it was the first thing. Ethereum didn't even have tokens then. We were almost like the original ICOs before people even knew to call it an ICO. It was different also from other types of coins because... It wasn't like I was saying, oh, buy Tatiana coin, it's going to moon, we're going to make so much money. It was more of a loyalty coin a little bit. Adam ended up creating a company called Tokenly, and then we made a product called Token.fm. 
which would allow artists and their fans to connect with the platform, sort of how I envisioned it, but I didn't realize that that didn't exist when we kind of came up with the idea. You have to remember, I had no idea what technology even did. I thought you press a button, it magically makes something happen. And I never really gave it much thought into the engineering and all the product development that goes into any kind of experience that you're having online or whatever, even with technology in general. It was just something I'd never thought of because I'd had that music background. A lot of artists supposedly are rebels, but there's a very prescribed set of political views and opinions that are permitted by Hollywood and by mainstream music culture. I think that the core relationship is the artist to the fan. And let's just say that my platform became evil, right? You could still take your coin holders, i.e. your fan base, and go somewhere else. Because for me, it's about creating something that has more longevity than just one simple thing. Now that you can create all these digital collectibles, which is something that we've been focusing on as well, there's ways to not only enhance your fan experience through being connected, but giving them additional things that they can actually hold on to. Because while streaming and all that stuff is great and it's made music really available to a lot of people, it's also taken a little bit of the special collectible nature out of it. Because the platform is kind of built like Lego blocks, you can do a lot of different things that give artists a lot of creativity. I think we're actually coming into a period of time where maybe the world is ready for some more interaction with their musicians in a different and new, exciting way. I take my music from my own life or from different stories that I see playing out around me. I think that it's really important to be talking about what we're seeing in an honest way and also in a way that has some kind of sensitivity. I think it's difficult to make music that has vulnerability in certain ways, especially around these topics and how do you kind of keep people interested? Because on the one hand, I want to have something that's genuine. So I'm recording my fourth album right now and it's tentatively called Love Songs for Idiots, right? The album is different from my previous records because it's a little bit less politically focused. It's a little bit more about loving yourself and just kind of the softer side. I think that when you go into activism, you can really go too hard almost on trying to save the world. You're not going to save everybody. When you think about what cryptocurrencies can do in terms of realizing a more free world, I think it's extraordinarily powerful. It's the most powerful thing that I've witnessed in my life with the exception of, let's say, oh, I don't know, electricity or the internet or something. The way that people think about money is really crucial to actually giving people the life that they want. And if they're uninformed about how the world is organized, they're never going to be able to get to where they need to be. But they don't need that to be a lecture about the Federal Reserve. They have to feel sort of a kinship and a vulnerability from the person that's taking them there. I've had this really unique opportunity to play both of those roles. I get to teach people about crypto, but it's also very new to me. And I think that I bring that forward with my music and with my other kinds of content. I've got my podcast, I've got Proof of Love, which is a relationship show. We talk about personal development. I feed that same desire through the Tatiana show where I interview people more around politics and the actual tech. And then on the musical side, it's a growth of self. You know, everybody's locked up, right? We've got this quarantine going on. And a lot of people are watching Netflix, and that's cool. But I hope that my music 
and all my activism and all my other work kind of pushes people to go a little bit further. Not even going into his family history, especially around Nazis and things around that nature and Margaret Sanger and all that. The guy has a lot of financial incentive around these vaccines. He's really pushing them. I don't know if he's a eugenicist, but I'm really not sure who in their marketing department cleared Marina Abramovich as their representative artist for Microsoft, considering her past experience with satanic imagery. She carves a pentagram into herself. I'm not sure that that's really a good corporate image. They had event 201. I'm not really sure if they had this event planning for a pandemic, why it's been handled so poorly. There's the ID 2020 incentive where Microsoft is partnering to put a global chip for everybody, I guess. I mean, I haven't looked that deep into it, but I know that Hyperledger is involved and a number of other companies are looking into essentially tracking everybody. Yeah, I'm not really into 1984 personally. The thing is, is that a lot of people think, well, but Bill Gates seems like such a nice guy. He's doing all these good things. If the guy is the second richest guy in the world, first richest, whatever, don't they think that he can buy really good PR teams? There's people that are literally devoted to whitewashing people that are at the top. Each company should have that. It makes sense for them to do that. But it doesn't mean that he's just little Mr. Innocent. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the Bill Gates thing. I don't know if that's a way to win people over, but there does seem to be a significant pushback. It was really creepy. There's a lot of specific things that you can call out in his business, right? But the Marina Abramovich thing, while the most salacious, is just so creepy to me. Why would they put her in as a representative of their brand when he's being questioned for participating in actions with Epstein and she is a known Satanist that eats fake bodies with Lady Gaga and writes with pee and blood on the walls? How did that get any clearance? It lacks common sense. Okay, maybe he's a businessman. Maybe he thinks geoengineering is okay. But really putting that out on Good Friday when nobody can go to church on Easter, that's creepy to me. I never really considered myself a religious person particularly, but if these people are Satanists, then I want to make it clear that I'm not really interested in that kind of occult behavior. And it is true. People do practice Satanism. There are people that for thousands of years have eaten people. Why is that so unbelievable? I think I'm going off into the tinfoil hat stuff, but is it really that far-fetched? I mean, really. There's evidence of it with the Podesta stuff. If you look at the stuff that was just on the Instagram feed of a pizza place, who let that happen? Look at Ben Swan. He went completely dark after he did the Pizzagate expose. He couldn't even talk for a year. And now they're taking so many things off of the internet. The censorship has become completely not even hidden anymore. There's definitely people that do evil things. There's a lot of kids that go missing. CPS is responsible for a lot of kids going missing. Why can't we look at that? This has killed any kind of sense of humanity with people. Not with everybody. But with a lot of people, this is very, very damaging. And maybe the economy will bounce back, but human interaction has taken a really serious hit, a cosmic hit. And I'm appalled that this is how it's turning out. I'm very happy to see some people pushing back, but this could just be a big test. Who's believing any of these people? 
it's really sad when Trump becomes the most trustable of them all, because I don't even think he's such a prize. I like him sometimes. I'm not completely anti, but there's a huge pump of the money being printed. Horrible. Huge government overreach. Horrible. Assange in jail. Terrible. But with this, he seems at least a little bit more on our side. When Trump becomes the one that you want to trust in such a crazy storm, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. Basically, what I'm saying is, is that you have a lot of different people in the world right now who are looking for an answer as to what's going on around them. A lot of people are disoriented. They're looking for some kind of true direction north. And the beauty of libertarian ideas is that they really do honor the individual and you cannot govern while catering to the minority or to the majority. The individual's rights are the most important. And this is a great opportunity for people to kind of point that out. At the same time, I think that we're going to see a lot of government overreach and a lot more control of our finances by implementing different digital currencies that are issued by governments. So now is a critical time for people to be helping people understand why it is so important that something like Bitcoin exists out there. I'm not saying everybody needs to only buy Bitcoin, although I am definitely a big Bitcoin fan. I'm saying that people need to start thinking a little bit about money in a different way, because let's say that there's a complete economic collapse. We have to have some kind of a framework within which to do barter even. And cryptocurrencies allow for barter networks that are much more smooth and useful in small groups. So there's a lot of different things that that tech can be offering and a lot of different experiments that could be done in terms of organizing mankind beyond just the use of crypto for money. You can use it for governance and different kinds of implementations of transparency to systems that have been manipulated and skewed for many, many years. And maybe there's some resistance there from the existing systems, but they're going to have to evolve or die. And that's a great opportunity for people. Like, Get off of your Netflix and read a book. Watch a couple of lectures by Dr. Paul. Go watch some documentaries. Change it up. I was watching a really great debate called the Soho Forum. Gene Epstein, I think he was the editor-in-chief at Barron's, he has an organization called Soho Forum and they do these debates in New York. And now they're conducting them online and they've partnered with Reason. There was a great debate basically socialism versus capitalism, right? And they took this very respected, high-end debater making the case for socialism. And then there was Gene who annihilated him. So these ideas, they're really, really good. Hopefully people won't turn to Marxism because I know people are going to feel like they're oppressed and they're going to be blaming business when they should be blaming business and government monopolies that are enforced through the government, right? So if people can understand those ideas, we have a really great opportunity to create an incredible, beautiful new future. When people say taxation is theft over and over again, it really drives home the main point, which is it really is theft. I don't care if you're stealing it to help the children. You're taking it from me. It's not your prerogative. It's not yours. I can light my money on fire. It's mine. That's what ownership means. And so to take something away from somebody, even if it's for a good intent, I would say that that's always immoral because you don't steal from people, period. People can give willingly if you make a compelling case to help someone. And a lot of times, because the U.S. government has all these entitlements, it actually makes people less generous in their natural lives because 
they think that the government is handling something, whereas the government's taking their big vig and usually making the situation much worse. Really, I've been using this time during quarantine to focus on myself. I think when you travel a lot and when you do as many things as I do, I've got the Tatiana show, I've got Proof of Love, I've got Crypto Media Hub, my marketing and PR company, I've token.fm, the blockchain stuff, I've got my music. And when you couple that with as much travel as I do, it gets to be a lot. So while I've been home, I've been really trying to nurture my soul in addition to my body and just trying to be healthy and make a little bit of space for myself to see how I feel about everything. And just, I think it's important to make a little bit of space to listen to your guiding light, if that makes sense. Or maybe your guiding voice would be the better explanation. You can't run the race all the time. And so right now, that's really what I've been exploring on Proof of Love for the past year. But without having to run everywhere, it's really nice to think about, well, what is it exactly that I want to work on? What is the thing that will make me the most happy? And I encourage other people to think about that because we've all been really running the race for many years. And as soon as you get bitten by the crypto bug, you're going full steam ahead in that direction. But you got to kind of look at the map sometimes. So I think that this is a good time to look at the map, plan the route, make sure the car, all the tires are filled, everything is good, because I think the next couple of years are going to be like a rocket. As many things as we've been sacrificing in terms of our freedom, it is the last bastion of hope in a lot of ways for those ideals. And it's important to keep America alive. I remember reading an article a few months back that went over the social credit policy that they have in China. But we have a lot of functionality that is basically the same, but it's just repackaged by private companies selling data and making different kinds of barriers for what you have access to and what you don't. So I think it's important as Americans to remain vigilant. The only other thing that I would encourage is for people to go to freeross.org and find out about Ross Ulbricht, something that's been lost a little bit in the shuffle is the status of some of our political prisoners. Ross has always been a cause very close to my heart. I've been friends with him and his family since very early on when he was imprisoned. I didn't know them before that, but I've done a lot of coverage on the TatianaShow.com with Lynn Ulbricht. And I know that they're pushing to have a pardon. And they have, I think, the second most amount of signatures on their change.org petition, but it hasn't been enough. If people can go to freeross.org, get all the actual facts about the case, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Lynn Ulbricht gives really, really great talks. So if people have a need for that, and if they can go to freeross.org and check that out. And then other than that, I mean, I'd love it if people would check out my podcast. We've been putting a lot of work into doing some video lately for Proof of Love. So people can go to proofoflovecast.com or thetatianashow.com. And then on tatianamorose.com, we did a whole site revamp with all my sites. And so we'll be promoting my new record probably out later this year if they ever let us out of our cages and I could actually get into the studio. So that'll be really fun. But otherwise, I mean, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on the show and people can find me online. I'm Queen Tatiana on Twitter and easy to find. Thank you everybody for listening in. And thanks, Mike, for having me on the show. I appreciate it.